Hey there, my name is Lisa Paulson. Hi, this is Bree Stephenson. Hi, this is Brent McElroy. And you're listening to the Avalanche Hour podcast. These are bombs out of helicopters. You can't tell me that what I want to do is dangerous. You know, a season off is only going to probably increase your drive to get back out there and do your job, but a pretty special time to have kids and the young. You're tuned in to another episode of the Avalanche Hour podcast. I'm your guest host for this week, Dom Baker from Nelson, BC. A big thanks to Caleb for having me back for another season. And thanks to Wes Gregg for producing this episode. The Avalanche Hour podcast is proudly presented by Wieson Avalanche Control. Safety through innovation. Additional support is provided by 10 Barrel Brewing. Drink beer outside, as well as InterWest Insurance. The goal of this podcast is to create a stronger community through the sharing of stories, knowledge, and news amongst people with a curious fascination for avalanches. Well, it's been an interesting time in the Pacific Northwest the past week. The region saw its fourth atmospheric river event in six weeks, and the most recent one broke a multitude of precip records. Our thoughts are with the folks in the Fraser Valley dealing with up to 250 mils of rain in a 48-hour period. The freezing levels for all that precip in the interior of BC and the Rockies really depended on latitude. We lost almost our entire snowpack to the rain here in the southern Kootenays, while Rogers Pass recorded somewhere around 150 centimeters of storm snow. Despite the lack of snow in my local mountains, I've been using this time to train and dial in the skills for the winter ahead. Avalanche search and rescue skills are perishable, and practice helps keep things fresh in case we need to use them. For this episode, I'm really pleased to be joined by three established professionals from various sectors of the Canadian avalanche industry. I'm joined by Ren McElroy, a forecaster for a big construction project in northwestern BC called Kamano, as well as Bree Stephenson, a forecaster with the BC Ministry of Transportation up in the wild and stunning Bear Pass of BC's north coast, as well as Lisa Paulson, an experienced mountain guide and a member of the visitor safety team in Banff National Park. We're calling this episode The Avalanche Mamas, and without giving much more away, I can say it's a good one. Enjoy, and thanks for listening. All right, well, here we are on another episode of The Avalanche Hour podcast, and uh, this is something that in the past has had a, a somewhat particular format of interviewing one person, kind of hearing about their backstory, Um, some of the really cool experiences that they've had and then uh, taking some lessons from that. And something that's rattled around in my head is that, you know, I think it'd be cool to have some group discussions. And one thing that I really wanted to explore was parenting and working in the avalanche industry, specifically from the perspective of the mom. Um, So I'm super excited to be joined today by uh, three women that I'd love to introduce here. We have Lisa Paulson, Ren McElroy, and Bree Stephenson. Um, I'll bring them in here one by one and uh, maybe let's start with you, Ren, because you were one of my very first uh, mentors in the avalanche industry, Um, taught me avalanche courses along the way, uh, helped me out on a whole ton of first aid calls and pretty much taught me how to blast and the forecasting process. So a huge mentor of mine, Um, Ren McElroy, uh, if you wouldn't mind maybe giving us a little bit of your background, um, you know, where you're from, how you got into the avalanche industry and what your current role is. 
Thanks, Dom. It's an honor to be here with this great group of ladies and with yourself. And uh, yeah, I'm honored to be one of your mentors as well, because you've done very well in the industry. Um, I'm born and raised in Nelson, BC. And from an early age, I knew that I wanted my career to be in the mountains. I wasn't sure exactly how that was going to pan out, but it started with my Avu one, my avalanche level one in Fernie in January of 1993. And I was working at a CMH lodge as a house staff at the time. And that, and then I was, I'm going to be a heli ski guide. That's the direction I'm going to go. Uh, the next year I got on the whitewater ski patrol. So I was pretty young. I was 20 years old or so um, and worked a bunch of years on the patrol. And then I quit ski patrolling to pursue a career in guiding. And I got work up at Selkirk Wilderness. And my partner and I, at the time, we went up to go do the guides training together and we conceived our first son up there <laughs> in the blower pal. <laughs> so it was all legit. Um, but yeah, so that, so that was pretty interesting because I just quit, you know, ski patrolling to pursue the guiding career and got pregnant. And so they were great. I was able to work through my pregnancy that winter. Um, April rolled around and I was about four months pregnant, but I remember hauling guys out of tree wells and being like, come on, you guys, I'll be pregnant. I'm hauling you out of a tree well. Let's get it together. Um, I did, once I had the kids, I did, uh, I had two, two sons, uh, about three and a half years apart. And the first one, um, I took time off that, you know, through that pregnancy, uh, you know, had him, but it was pretty quick that I got back into teaching outdoor education um, specifically avalanche courses, working with some of the local outdoor schools as a way that I didn't have to commit full time to work, but I could stay engaged. Uh, started going to the CA meetings um, and got involved in the, in the industry training program. Then had my second son and, uh, you know, same thing, was able to weave through with part-time work, um, a lot of teaching in that time. And then I got to a point where I felt like I wasn't forecasting enough. I was doing a lot of teaching, but I wasn't um, engaging enough uh, in that role. And I went back to Whitewater and said, hey, can I help out and just do a little bit of forecasting with you guys? I'm just feeling a bit rusty and want to work on my skills. And that very quickly rolled into uh, being the assistant there and then rolled into becoming the snow safety supervisor. So kind of back to my roots. I started at Whitewater when I was a teenager parking cars. So spent a lot of years. I think I worked 19 years at Whitewater. And that's where Dom and I started working together. And so I did that for the next, I think, seven or eight years or so. And then uh, in 2018, I got an opportunity to work up in Camano on, on an industrial construction project, um, drilling a, a tunnel for water for the power plant up there for Kitimat. And that's been pretty mind-blowing, um, being able to be in that, in that kind of training taking it from when my kids were little and working through those stages to now work two weeks on, two weeks off. And uh, so it's been, it's been quite an evolution, but essentially I've got, you know, I've been in the industry over 25 years and uh, a couple of years there where I slowed down a little bit, but pretty much tried to stay active as a professional member all the way through. Right on, Ren. That's a cool story. And you definitely, uh, Brought both your sons up to work at the ski hill as well. I I recall both of them parking cars and checking tickets, and uh, and your oldest Conrad on the volley patrol as well. So it's a family affair. It's very cool. Um, right on. Well, let's continue with the introductions here, uh, Bree. I was wondering if I could bring you in next, Bree Stephenson. Um, I had the 
opportunity to meet you once at the spring meetings, but I uh, don't really know you very well, though we do work for the same BC Ministry of Transportation. So I was wondering if you could give us a bit of your, your background as well. Yeah, you bet. Uh, my name is Bree Stephenson. I work for the Ministry of Transportation and Infrastructure in BC here. I'm a district avalanche technician with the Bear Pass Avalanche Program. Uh, this is been season nine for me up here. Prior to that, I was working in the Northwest Regional Program based out of Terrace. And then before that, I was doing some industrial work, so dabbling in, you know, rail or hydro work, mining, what anything I could <laughs> get my hands on. And before that, I spent some years at Castle Mountain Resort as a pro patrol there. Um, so that'd be my professional avalanche career. But prior to that, I spent a lot of time ski bombing. And I did my uh, first avalanche course in 2000, uh, but I didn't actually start working into the industry until about 2007. So that's me. <laughs> right on. I just wanted to point out you work in like an exceptionally remote area, a very small town, and probably the most badass avalanche program in the country for like availability of resources and size of terrain. I mean, it's just totally incredible. So um, I mean, how, how is that as a as a super small team, not to go down the rabbit hole here, but um just to manage a place of that uh magnitude? Uh just fortunate i the guy i work for ryan boyle is a fantastic human and a great supervisor and a team member so um we tend to have rotating staff as a third that we bring on but the two of us have been working together yeah it's been nine seasons and uh yeah she's full on <laughs> we've had since i've been back literally my first day back off of mat leave it started snowing and we've had two big winters and a pandemic to juggle with this terrain here and a little kid <laughs> and ryan's got three at home with a wife that works away so uh yeah <laughs> you know where it's at so it's uh yeah really cool program glad it wasn't my first year when i came back from leave <laughs> and so having a little time in before having my daughter helped for sure very interesting times to have a little one <laughs> as you say the highway has to stay open right as much as it's safe to do you so, bet so. and we uh we isolate so with Stuart, um we also have our our neighbors in Hyder, Alaska. So both communities, as soon as we shut our highway down, there there's no access. Um, if it's dark or poor weather, nobody can get out for medical, no supplies come in, and um try and keep her open as much as we can. Yeah, it's a lot of responsibility, I'm sure. Yeah, it's uh but a great community. Um glad I got some trust in before. <laughs> <laughs> all of this and uh yeah super cool program to come back to as well I wasn't sure how it would be leaving my daughter after being with her for so much and yeah it's really nice when you leave her in the care of somebody so awesome and you get to go do something so cool that you love so much and you're engaged in so you're not wondering <laughs> how badly she's missing you or if you're missing her that Oh, that's good to hear. That's really good to hear. Well, and then uh, let's bring Lisa Paulson into the conversation here. Uh, Lisa, I had an opportunity to meet you other than tonight on uh, Zoom. So uh, thank you for, for joining us here. And uh, perhaps you can also give us a bit of your background. Uh, hello. Yeah, thanks. Um, real honor too to be here. I've listened to a few of the Avalanche Hour podcasts. They're amazing. It's great to have them as a resource to listen to. And 
Um, I live in Banff, um, the town of Banff in Alberta, uh, but I didn't, and I work for Parks Canada as a visitor safety specialist currently. So in that role, is, it's an interesting role. It, uh, we do uh, look after the avalanche forecasting and avalanche control for the highways in Banff, Yoho, Kootenai, and also thrown in there is um, rescue, mountain rescues with water rescue and um, a bunch of interesting projects on the side. So it's a really cool job. I work with a really high power team like we, we all do. And, um, but I didn't uh, start here. I, start, I grew up in Calgary and I didn't really have aspirations for being in the mountains growing up. Um, maybe as I started getting to the high school years with skiing, I loved skiing. That drew me to Lake Louise. And a common thread, I guess, with all of us, I... Um, vied for the ski patrol job where I met some of my first mentors, some of them, uh, Donnie Harrison, who was patrolling there and uh, the park wardens were doing the avalanche control. And so I got my first glimpse at snow science and late eighties did my level one with Peter Shear, and was really drawn to the snow science um, field and patrolling. And I spent a few years there, um, but I, Thought, well, I don't want to put all my eggs in the, you know, the physical basket. I tore an NCL and looked at the park warden job. And really, I thought all they did was ski around, throw bombs. I later learned it was a little broader. But, um, you know, I thought, well, I'll go to school. I'll become one of those. And uh, went to university for a bit and came back and got some work with uh, Jasper National Park and did a whole bunch of different jobs um, in the warden service. Uh, but always had an interest back to the skiing, the snow science and helping people as a ski patroller. And so always my passion kept emerging and eventually got some work, um, a couple of training, winter training positions in Rogers Pass with Parks Canada, worked with the snow uh, science group there, the, the avalanche control warning system folks. And uh, great, great learning opportunity there. And got my level two. As soon as I got that, um, I was able to get on with uh, in the winter with Parks Canada as a forecaster in Jasper. And at the same time, most of my work was the summer work with Parks Canada. So I was like, what am I going to do in the winter? So I like when I think I'll be a heli ski guide. That looks great. And uh, started working on my ski guide uh, certification and spent a few winters where I don't think I had a day off. I I had, um, you know, a nine and five day schedule, nine days on, five days off. And those five days off, I'd go ski guide or apprentice and, and work on that, uh, work on that ticket, cat skiing, doing some heli skiing, ski touring at lodges and so forth. Um, so that was, those were pretty busy years. And I have to say, having children was the furthest thing from my mind. I had no, no aspirations to go down that path. I was quite happy. Um, it wasn't until my late 30s, 38, that I decided. And that was after leaving Jasper, I went to Waterton for a year to run the public safety program there and their backcountry program. And then through some retirements in Banff, I was offered a job as a visitor safety specialist in the Banff Lake Louise area, came back here in 2005. And now that I'm solidified in a job that I want and a place I wanted to be, that's when, you know, hit in the late thirties and you're like, Hmm, I got to really think about this if I want to do it. And my husband and I went, 
Yeah, which was a pretty amazing step for him because he'd already had two daughters prior. So in another relationship. So it was a big step for him and he's a bit older than me. So um, thankfully we went down that path and there's a couple of influential people. Like it's pretty daunting thinking of that step, that physical step. I still had one more guides exam to do to become a full mountain guide. And, um, but it was my doctor that really helped me because I had my own, um, I guess my own thoughts as to what this might do to my body and what I might not be able to do in the future. But my daughter or my doctor said to me, you know what, Lisa, you can do both. I went, Oh, really? Well, you would know, I guess I will. And, um, there we started our family. And so my kids are now 11 and 14. Um, so they're two and a half years apart. And we started in 2007. And after my second child, I was able to finish off that last guides exam. And, and, um, now I'm, I'm continuing to work in this amazing team. And, and, uh, I love that I have this amazing family, um, for sure, you have your ups and downs. There's new challenges, but it's it's a whole new facet of joy having kids, and I'm so glad we did it. Yeah, right on. That's quite the story, and um, really, you know, powerful that your doctor is behind you in all of that and those decisions. That's really good to hear. You know, that's um, not the old school attitude. It's nice to to hear progressive people that say, "No, you know what, damn, you can do this. You can do both. You can do." Uh, hard things if you put your mind to it. So that's super cool. Perhaps moving on here to kind of the next um, train of thought. And Lisa, if we can stick with you, um, I've been thinking a lot about how there's there's really, and you've alluded to this, like in terms of what this would do to your body and stuff, like there's not a lot of light duty in our business, you know, whether you're ski guiding or you're ski patrolling, it involves a lot of physical movement, whether that's walking around the mountains, like ski patrolling, you're, you know, carrying a backpack full of bombs up the ridge or, um, if you're ski guiding, you're you know, hauling people out of the tree well when you're pregnant, as you said, Ren. So, um, but eventually, and as I witnessed in my own wife, as she progressed through her pregnancy, like there comes a point where you just kind of can't do anything. And you're like, oh man, this is, you're kind of just on that final home stretch, so to speak, towards giving birth. And, um, but you might not quite be ready yet to go on, on a maternity leave. So I was wondering, you know, Lisa, did you find Parks Canada or your employer at the time? Uh, to be supportive with allowing uh, you to kind of take that time that you needed or provide, you know, different duties or help you work through that process so you could kind of keep working as long as you wanted to before going on a maternity leave? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was a new chapter for our crew. Um, I'm the only female. I'm the only female that's had a child in our crew. Um, So what, uh, you know, I went into it with number one, I want to protect myself and my baby throughout the whole pregnancy. And number two, I don't want to endanger my team or the people that are looking for our help. So my physician that I worked with, and she was my physician for a long time, she really understood my job and um, she knew my abilities and I think I met with her like almost bi-weekly for a while. I mean, you guys are doing a lot and, of really technical rescues there, right? I mean, it's not just like oh, yeah. a walk in the park. Oh, it's yeah. like, like a real, real job. Yeah. And I mean, uh, my team extends to the 
pilots as well. And, um, you know, there's, there's quite a few rescues my, my kids did while they're in my belly, but, uh, you know, so they're, they're well-versed in slinging and, but there comes a point, um, where I worked very closely with my physician and, um, after each one of my meetings with my physician, I would come back to my manager and my team and say, okay, this is where I stand now. And there was certainly a point where the baby leaves the pelvis area, the protection of the pelvis. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to be on the pointy end of the rope. Um, I wasn't really much on the pointy end of the rope or on a glacier travel where I might fall. And that was my choice. And I didn't. And then there was another point where I felt like I lost the upper throttle of what I was able to physically do. And so I didn't want to be in a position where I'd have to rapidly dig out a colleague or, you know, so I started to pull back a bit. There was also a point I pulled back away from noisy things. When I, there was one point on the rescue, I was landing a helicopter and I really felt in my room, my daughter just sort of felt like she did a big spread eagle in my room when I was landing the heli. And I was like, oh, I wonder if she can hear that. And I did a bunch of research and I went, well, getting close to be able to hear that. Maybe I won't. I need hearing protection. Maybe I won't expose her to that. And, and so my whole team was really in step with every step. And I think that, um, I think that helped that open, open dialogue. And, and then, you know, a book that really helped me was um, this book by Dr. Clapp with a double P called Exercising Through Your Pregnancy. It's a super short book, but super fascinating, especially if you come from the medical aspect, just how your body adapts. And, you know, right from those first stages where you're feeling like crap for the first three months and you don't really tell anybody that you're pregnant to then your system is in place. And then towards those latter stages of pregnancy and um, the way my pregnancies went, my last month I had to take off because I had high blood pressure. And basically had to sit on a couch. So that's been hard for somebody who's active. Oh, it was hard. Like (laughs) it was really hard. But yeah. Anyway, yeah. Watching people cook turkey dinner on my second child was pretty entertaining. Um, But yeah, it's. uh, I think it's cool to have that dialogue with the team. For me, and uh, because we are such a close knit team, and. but there, yeah, there's certainly some interesting times. I remember a uh, rescue on the Wapta ice fields and it was actually a recovery. It was quite sad. Um, talk about juggling parenting. One of the rescuers couldn't go because he had to go home and look after kids. So it was me and I'm, I'm, I can't remember. I must've been in the four, four month, five month pregnancy range. I haven't really pulled back on duties yet. The weather was coming in and we went up there with a camp kit. These um, people had their snow cave collapse on them and we had to just go and identify were they there and was it them? And we, um, so the mission was to dig like stink and see if we can identify them and get out of there before the weather comes in and darkness sets in. And, and uh, so I remember just thinking, I really don't want to camp out here overnight because I just peeing so frequently through the night. It'd be a real pain. And then I'd have to ski out the next day with all this crap. And um, so we worked really hard. And then the pilot, I mean, we work with such amazing pilots uh, um, with Alpine helicopters. And um, 
and he managed to come in and pick us up and out we went and yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's some added motivation that only a mom yeah, would understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to camp here because I got to pee 20 times a night. Oh, yeah. Man, that's amazing. Well, and, you know, I had the opportunity to talk to Brad White and Grant Statham for the podcast last year. And through hearing what you're saying and talking to those guys, it sounds like a very methodical, uh, reflective workplace, you know, where you're constantly um, reviewing systems and seeing as if it's working. And, and perhaps that comes from working in such intense environments and on the end of the heli sling and all the other things. So would you think that like the process that you described of, uh, you know, going to the doctor and then coming back to your team and saying, Hey, look, this is where I'm at, you know, this month, is that like a natural fit for that workplace? Do you think, and do you, do you think that led to the support that you, it sounds like you receive? It felt like a pretty natural thing. And like right from the get-go, when I announced, I was pretty nervous to announce my pregnancy. And I mean, and it was mostly because of, I think, my biases and how I thought it would be perceived. Did it match the reality of when you actually... No, there was so much excitement. Like my manager was so excited. I was, uh, I was really, I was really floored. In fact, when I gave birth to my first, um, baby, I think he must've been lurking outside the hospital because he immediately got the name from my husband as he went out for that. I I need a scotch moment. And, uh, baby was born and, and, um, shared the name that we later changed, you know, immediately with everybody. (laughs) Yeah. So it was like a, it was almost like a team baby, but um, yeah, uh, it, I just feel like my, I think because we work in such intense, we're really, I think in touch with the everybody's needs and how we need to adjust to support each other. That's awesome. I mean, I think we could have a dad here and they have as many juggling things too. Like, well, you're the dad and uh <laughs> And so we're always in touch. Like there are mornings when my kids were young and my had an early bird and a night owl and I got the short end of the stick. And there are some mornings I just walk into the office and I just go, I'm working on very little sleep. If we have something that's, I'm going to have to make lots of quick decisions. I need you guys to know that I'm lacking sleep today, you know? Like and just so that me. you're, uh, you know, really above board. And um, I've always been that way. And I think our team is that way to just or a clear if you can, take eh? a day off, you know, if you can take a sick day and just go, you know what, I'm not ready to be here. But it's, it can be hard because we have lots of demands, right? And um, to do it. So you have to just support each other. Yeah, absolutely. And then Brie, for yourself, like being a member of such a small team too, I mean, you know, man, oh man, like you're literally one third of the entire crew that's keeping a highway open. I mean, how, how did that process go for you? Well, I also had the bonus of a small town. So I uh, had a feeling I might be pregnant and we were out flying around doing some recon pictures of our um, glacial ice and whatnot. And I was like, holy smokes, like... (laughs) <laughs> a regular easy day flight and I'm ready to poop and puke and I'm like what's going on here so sure enough I go to the doctor and our health unit is literally a block away from our office and I'm there too long and Ryan's stalking me wondering what's up 
<laughs> and um, so like Lisa, I was 38 when I became pregnant, not so planned, but really excited, but not excited to let anybody know more out of my own stubbornness and uh, just wanting to make sure everything's good before I let everybody know. But that year we were hiring our third and uh, man, well, just the way Ryan and I and our team all about communication, all about safety and blood honesty. So sure enough, I'm like, so I'm pregnant. He's like, I knew it, <laughs> but it made a, it can make a big decision on our hiring as well for the skill sets that we're trying to draw. It's hard enough to get anybody to come up to Stewart, <laughs> um, but uh, being up front. So he knew I was like weeks, month, maybe pregnant. And uh so yeah, work adjusted. He's got three kids and uh, his wife and I are good friends, uh, a real similar personality. So he probably knew better than me what I was into and up for it, what was going to go on. So uh, yeah, he pulled me off bombing pretty quick. And um, for me, though, just listening to my body and does, everything is kind of normal. It's more cautious, definitely. Like our objectives are pretty mellow as it is but dialing it back and um, sledding wasn't uh, as aggressive not saying I'm a great sledder but uh, really bringing that back and um and I mean I was all good I was sledding till six months pregnant for field work and then I started spotting and I was like holy Christmas like he's like no way like I'm not losing this kid over this like nope done <laughs> and then by uh seven months pregnant I had so much vertigo I couldn't ski <laughs> in the alpine to save my life it was hilarious so body's just telling you and telling you like it's enough and my last flight while I was pregnant though happened to be my uh, my maternity photo shoot so we went and crawled around some avalanches to get some deposit mass size we had an awesome spring cycle big big size fours like 20 meter plus deposit depths and so our pilot, who's also a great friend, we're all, we're all pretty much family around here, uh, just started taking pictures. He's like, look at you. You're super pregnant. <laughs> You're on this <laughs> deposit. And so, yeah, it was a really neat experience, challenging, but awesome team. Everybody worked together and wherever I, so when I wasn't bombing, I was just taking up more of the slack of, you know, getting our maintenance contractor to do what they need to do, doing ground support on the days that we're bombing and, you know, pulling my first chair in the office and <laughs> road patrols. That's, but uh, that was interesting, but yeah, I was lucky too, though. I was, you know, by the time end of April came along and that was kind of the end of our season that year, uh, that was seven months, went down to the CAA conference for the last time. <laughs> but uh, it was, uh, again, really fun to see everyone. And, and like Lisa said, lots of excitement. Everybody I work with was excited and everybody was so kind and helpful and lots of good communication for where I was really at. And, and same for coming back to work, like super excited to come back to work, but super nervous about, yeah, not being with my kid or what I forgot or how I'm going to jump back in or how is my attention span going to be for juggling for the first time, um, all of this, but uh, it's just gotten more fun. Like <laughs> you enjoy the little moments a bit better too. Like I really enjoy when I'm fully engrossed in work and there's no like big cycle going off and we're closing a road because we're there and 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 then yeah coming home after a big bomb mission 
giant movie quality avalanches and I get to nurse my kid to bed. <laughs> like that's feminism. That's having it all. That is awesome. And um, yeah, it's been a really fun journey. Busy, but fun. <laughs> That is amazing. That's a real surreal switch, eh? From controlling size four avalanches to uh, going home and having <laughs> snuggle time with the little one. It's just like a complete yeah. shift of your mindset. It sounds like having a supportive boss that uh, that also had kids must have uh, been instrumental in. And also, might I add, perfect timing for having a kid like midsummer. That's awesome. Mine were born right in the middle of the winter. It's not a good plan. So. Oh good work on that one but yeah having a supportive boss who had kid that sounds like a a key part of that story there yeah and then i were just uh i was about four days after i had my daughter the caa audited me on my professional membership <laughs> my kid wasn't a sleeper but i'm like i'm doing this <laughs> I'm not letting this go i'm gonna get this on time too <laughs> wow so, I think uh, stubbornness plays a role, I think, <laughs> in my story, at least, of trying to trying to juggle it all and have it all and so grateful for all of it. Well, that's awesome. And then, Ren, it sounds like you were at kind of at the start of a career change, hey, when you had your kids. Like, was that, um, you obviously kept guiding that winter by the sounds of it, but was that a bit of a deal breaker for working at Selkirk or how did that all go? Yeah, it was a little bit. I was 27 when I got pregnant. So, yeah, earlier on. Um and so my son was born in September. So that next winter, it didn't work. But when he was two, I was able to go back, I guess a year and a half, two years old, I was able to go back and do some more tail guiding up there, which was great. And they were super supportive. Um, one of my mentors up there, Heidi Steckel, she, she was a mom uh, or she is a mom. And, you know, she was really supportive. I remember telling her I went up to do a shift with her and I was like, oh. I don't know. I fell asleep on the way up here and not feeling very good. And there's a chance I might be pregnant. And she's like, well, it's okay if you are. And it's okay if you aren't. And just to have this, you know, strong female guide when, you know, back in the, in the mid nineties, there was very few women working in the avalanche industry, let alone moms. And uh, so she, she was a, she was a real inspiration to me that, that I could come back and Alan and Brenda Drury who were, you know, the owners at the time, they were also very supportive. Um, but then it came down to sort of the lifestyle and the choices. Um, the boy's dad and I had bought raw land and we wanted to build a house. And he was also tail guiding. He had a lot of background with moles down in the States and outdoor education. But he was also pursuing the guiding in Canada. But at the time, the tail guiding wage, you know, for both of us to work wasn't really going to pay you know, to build a house and develop a piece of land. And, and then for me to go work and him to stay home uh, and take care of the kids, it, it also wasn't enough income. So that's where we both had to reevaluate. And, and I didn't feel like it was fair for him to give up his outdoor career at the time and work construction and for me to pursue it. So, you know, we just sort of stepped back a little bit, both of us, and kind of reevaluated um, and had some different ideas how we can facilitate that and then did end up going through a divorce when the kids were four five and nine um and then that did I did end up going back to Whitewater I needed work I needed full-time work and uh the timing of everything uh worked out that way trying to juggle uh my kids where I would get them on a Wednesday night from their dad and I would because I worked a like a Sunday to Wednesday shift so I would get them on Wednesday night and then I would give them back Saturday night 
And it was, I, I was really passionate about the industry and, and my connection to the mountains and what I wanted to do. And I really wanted to follow that through. But uh, there was some heartbreaking times where putting my five-year-old in the backseat of a car and he's crying because he doesn't want to leave me. And, you know, and it wasn't just that it was my industry. It was that I was, you know, I had gone through or was going through a divorce and I, I needed to make those changes in my life anyway. Um, but it was a big balance of the mom guilt, you know, of um, uh, and even before that, leaving for a CA course and one of my kids is sick and you're going out the door and you're, you have this juggle. You've made this professional commitment. And, uh, you know, you've got to be able to step out the door. So I think for me, the parenting came as, you know, the parenting and the working came as they were growing up more. And then those challenges of whatever it might be, sick kids, and then you're, you know, you're running the patrol, or you're running a meeting and, you know, you've got all these other dynamics that are that are going on, which I think are, are much better understood now um, earlier in my career. You know, I did, Mark Austin was first, uh, one of the early, he was the assistant forecaster at Whitewater when I started and he had kids. He was the only one in our group that had kids at the time. So he was super supportive. Um, and I was teaching J uh, Justice Institute of BC courses with them. And um, um, I remember going with him and Kirk Jensen up to Kamloops to teach a course. And my partner came with me and he had our, our young one in the, in the hotel and I think I got in trouble, though, because I went out for beers afterwards. <laughs> and so I'm trying to balance that, you know, being a part of the crew, keeping it all going, um, you know, going making it back to the hotel after having a Guinness and having to nurse the baby. And, you know, so there was some, yeah, some interesting times through all of that, for sure. So busy. The work doesn't stop as soon as the work day is over. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Amazing. And then it, so it sounds like, Ren, for you, that getting back to working after having kids, because we kind of worked our three, way through to having kids and getting back to work, you're able to do that on initially a part-time basis and then like on a, a ski hill schedule where you're working four days a week. Is that something that, that helped, like as opposed to being like on a two and two, like what you're on now for Kamano? Would that have been harder, do you think? Yeah, I, don't, I couldn't do the job that I'm doing now. And I guess I'm the introduction so I didn't really say what I'm doing up there but um, I'm one of the lead forecasters on a on a pretty big industrial site and it's the train's actually very similar to Bear Pass um, in terms of big coastal mountains so pretty eye-opening but yeah going away I'm really only home for about 10 days right now by the time it takes me two days to travel up to up to the site um, you fly up to Terrace and then you get on a bus and then you get on a boat or a helicopter <laughs> that's a pretty remote site and and even now, my middle son, I have a 21-year-old who's also working on the same site up there now, and, uh, and a 17-year-old and a 12-year-old stepson. And he, last year, my 17-year-old was finishing up, his, you know, he was in school and, and struggling a bit with the academics. And, you know, we would FaceTime and, you know, would try and help him with his homework. But then the connection's always terrible because you're in a remote camp on terrible Wi-Fi. And so even some of those challenges you know once you're a parent you're always a parent it doesn't you know I was almost late for this meeting because I was going to find my son at the bus um but you know some of those challenges they're still there but I I, I wouldn't have done the job that I'm doing now back when the kids were little I I didn't I didn't have that in me I think you you know both Lisa and Brie have expressed their gratitude and how fortunate they feel getting to be moms and I 
I feel the same way. And, and kids really, when you're in the thick of it, when they're little, it seems like you're never going to dig yourself out of that, you know, the sleep deprivation and all of that, but they actually do grow up really quickly. I've got these two older boys that are like six, two and 200 pounds each. And they're, you know, big strapping young men. And, you know, my stepson turns 13 today and, uh, you know, they do grow up, but you still want to be there for all of it. You know, whether they're having a hard time with their homework or, you know, they, they have a test or whatever it is. So I think it evolves and changes, but you're, but you're always still a parent and it, and inherently as, as moms, it, it's expected maybe, or it has been expected that we would be the ones to stay at home. So I think that's something that I've struggled with throughout my career is the times where I've stepped out to pursue my prof- professional goals um, and had to leave kids at home, even if it hasn't been for big chunks or it's bigger chunks or whatever it may be. But um, yeah, those are those are things that that take a supportive team that you work with um, and supportive community. You know, I did a couple of years of being a single mom with kids and, and working full time in the industry and it was pretty challenging. <laughs> it's about when Dom and I started working together. Um, but, you know, you pull, you pull through and, uh, and I'm just grateful that in the industry, A, there's so many more women that are working and our culture is changing and, you know, people are more aware and, and are more supportive. You know, I think it makes it, makes it more doable. And that's really, that's such a good uh, segue onto, you know, I was hoping to talk about where the three of you think the industry is going with regards to support for, for parents and like how we're not, or I hope that we're not reinforcing these um, traditional gender roles as much, you know, like I obviously have kids and I, I wouldn't be able to do a lot of the stuff that I do without a super supportive wife who I'm eternally grateful to. Um, but the three of you are prime examples and living proof that that it is totally possible to have um, careers and super exciting industry following your passion and still be able to have kids as moms. So do you, Ren, it sounds like you're kind of saying that it, you have seen positive changes in our industry. Um, I was wondering if, you know, either of the other two of you, Brie or Lisa wanted to elaborate on that. You have younger kids than, than Ren. And is there anything that comes to mind when, when you hear Ren talk about that? I think, um, or what comes to mind, just hearing these stories is, um, just everybody has a slightly unique situation and you have to find the right fit. Like our pregnancies would be different. And I I've had people come to me and say, you know, should there be rules about what, when you can do what and what you can do. And um, for me, I feel it's such a, a personal decision with the physician and your health and, and what, what your role and what, what you're what you're doing it's such a unique um solutions and conversations to slap on a, a you know this is how we're this is our policy type of thing um and i think the same with uh i think i think we have to be really creative when we're thinking of parenting and how you're going to look after these little beings i have colleagues that have both sets of grandparents living in the same community. And I know, right? Like, Wouldn't that oh, be nice? That's kind of unusual. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's helpful. And they're both fully involved. I mean, I didn't have have that. I um my my parents were older and they're not really gonna parachute in and 
into the community or my home. And, and so we had a reverse uh, situation where I had the main job and my husband was a guide, but didn't have like the job I had where I had benefits, I had dental, medical, <laughs> family leave, sick leave. I mean, it's pretty awesome yeah. working for a major, <laughs> like I'm sure Bree might be able to attest to this where I, I have all these benefits, which we, I have the job. So I had the year off maternity leave. How wonderful is that? Like we were able to just rent out our house and take off to Spain or, you know, a trip across Canada. I mean, there's some true benefits to having the baby. (laughs) Um, But then when I, you know, come back and, and we, I think we flipped through a lot of different scenarios because you know, the, the daycare doesn't always work if you're working weekends and or weird hours. Absolutely. So yeah, my husband had to sort of step in. And after baby number two, and I went back to work, that was a lot for him. And he was just like, I need more support. He's like, I'm tapping out. And so I was like, oh, I'm in the middle of training for a guides exam. What do we do? And um, started looking at day homes. Like there's lots of options. Like I live in a community, not in a remote area. Yes. So I, <laughs> I know. So I'm like, okay, day homes. And then, but that's not a long-term solution because I need somebody here at night when Joe's not, when Joe's working. Like if I get called on a big search or something, I like drop off the planet for maybe three days. And I need somebody to be able to hold the fort at home and make sure the kids get fed and stuff when they're young and uh, so we looked at we hired a nanny um an international nanny and and went through that whole process which was huge and had her for a few years and then sponsored her to come to Canada Um, and and then there's another I mean things change and adjust as your kids get older and you and adjust and and then you know, I had a period too where my husband decided he actually announced when I was holding my first baby that in 2017, he's going to canoe across Canada. I was like, pardon me. Okay. Or we were going to, we were going to do it as a family. And I was like, okay, right. Well, we better start canoeing. (laughs) (laughs) But then as we started canoeing, we realized as a family, that's not going to happen because most we can do is like four to four hours and then we need to go play in the sand. So <laughs> it, it was clear that he's going to do this on his own. And, um, and he, it was really important to him because of his Métis heritage and he really wanted to do it and connect with his heritage. His, his great greats, you know, traveled the rivers. And so we had, we got a little bit of a tip from some friends of ours in Canmore that, run a B&B and or a, a accommodation and some guiding. And they said, check out Workaway, workaway.com. And you can have people come and stay with you. And in exchange of housing them, they'll give you four to five hours of work a day. I was like, oh, okay, well, let's check this out. And um, I wasn't too keen on having rotating people for my kids. I wanted somebody that's going to be there like a little more consistently. So we experimented it with it before 
he left and we met this amazing fellow from Mexico. And um, it was a little daunting. He showed up on our doorstep late one night and after hitchhiking from Squamish, he was a climber. But he's one of those people that we met right away. And I opened the door to this guy, looked like he had dreadlocks and torn up everything. And, you know, my first impression was like, oh, no, what have we done? But then as soon as he opened his mouth, you could tell he was just the warmest person welcomed into our home. And he's now like another son of mine. He lives in Mexico. He stayed with us that whole summer. And then I had other people kind of coming in to support him because I didn't want him to be sort of saddled with the full-time thing. And so it was a pretty incredible cultural experience, actually. We had, you know, my kids were young. We had people from Korea for six weeks and they were lovely, had great Korean food and another, and they were all professionals that were taking a break. And so they were, you know, you interview them and we had this really great experience with, you know, some of them were duds and they, you know, one guy in particular was like, he was like, I want to travel. And I was like, yes, you should totally do that. Off you go. And then, you know, carry on with some of the other good ones. So lots of different solutions, I think, is what there's lots of creative solutions. You sure have to get creative, eh? Yeah. I mean, our job, like both Lisa, you and Bree manage highways in addition to all the other rescue and all that other stuff. Like the highway is a 24 hour a day operation and, you know, you're going to end up working some really weird hours, not to mention the search and rescue work as well can happen at some pretty strange hours. So you really, you know, you can't rely on a daycare that's open from, you know, eight till four or something. Bree, do you have family in Stewart at all? Is that something that you were able oh, to do? Our family, my uh, my parents are down on uh, Gabriel Island, and my in laws are in New Brunswick. So we got uh, we've got a community though that feels like family. Uh, my husband works away sometimes, and I uh, somehow I've got somebody who takes pity on me every season and offers me <laughs> some childcare. So I've got um, actually two women this year. My girl can bounce between, and then I've got her like pseudo grannies and I've got these awesome women that will come at any hour and they will sleep here if she's already in whatevs and they understand what it takes and what it is and the nature of the beast and I'm really lucky because <laughs> uh, there's no child care here and it's a yeah, small place. You would well, think that's... that with uh, the understanding in where Bear Pass is located and how it's so isolated if the highway does close that your community does have a vested interest <laughs> in, <laughs> in supporting you. But that's what's magic about it. You know, they say it takes a community to raise a child. And I, I remember drawing on so many different friends to help me out, you know, at different points in my career, but especially in your situation, Bree, that they're like, oh no, we better help her out. We gotta, we gotta do everything we can to get that highway open or keep it open or whatever it is. So that's pretty, yeah. that's very special. A few years ago, we uh, we were out bombing and we had this nice little, you know, three and a half as Bear Pass does, but we're like, whatevs, that'll just get gobbled up by the crevasses and not paying attention. And she grabbed glacial ice and uh, it was a, an honest five, well measured by other people than us, of glacial ice on the road with a giant boulder block in a lane. And, and so, yeah, I came home tagged out one babysitter moved the kid over <laughs> go back out we and there was a potluck going on and it was so cool like we talked took out the power took out the road and everybody's just like what do you need get back out there nice work and 
um, it was, it was cool <laughs> to know that you've just isolated them and taken out their power and they're still managing to support you and help you to do oh your my job. God. That is amazing. <laughs> How many people live in uh, Stewart, Bree? Well, we're growing. I don't know. <laughs> Since the summer, we've filled up every house in Stewart. So last census, we were just over a hundred or 450. I think there's 452 or six or something in the town. So it's pretty close net and then hiders at I think 57, but we don't get to see them because of the border closures too often. They come in on Fridays for groceries for a little bit, but uh, yeah, pretty small. It's amazing. Yeah. So everyone would have that empathy based on like shared experiences of, you know, they all raised kids in a super isolated place too. So they, they know what you're going that? through. <laughs> a lot of people want to get to work and they've got appointments and they got life and planes to catch or whatever, um, especially pre-pandemic. So um, it's a big trust building and there's people who have their opinions <laughs> about your closures and your timing and, and all that. But generally everybody's, um, yeah, they know that we're trying to work for them and we're trying to keep that open as much as possible. And it just is what it is. It snows a lot here. Yeah, it sure does. Sure Especially does. last year. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I did my last hazard form July 1st last year. Oh, <laughs> we had avalanche at the end of June on our radar. Like it was, and we, our last cycle last week just started punching through and overriding our old deposits that haven't melted out yet. And we're, <laughs> we're in it again already. <laughs> what a place. That's amazing. A place yeah. to be if you love avalanches. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so we've kind of started to touch on some of the things that have changed after having kids, um, as in an immense amount of juggling. Lisa, you touched upon earlier on about things that changed for you while you're pregnant, you know, like you're uh, thinking about the the noise and um, some of the risk and stuff that's involved. Would you say uh, that things changed for you uh, after having kids, like, you know, now that they're, they're people on their own, right? And they're not traveling with you everywhere. Um, did the way that you do your job or your perception of risk or, or tolerance for risk um, or, or any other day-to-day things about the job really, do, have, has that changed through being a mom? There's lots that have changed. I think my life pre-kids, I was avidly climbing and skiing every all of my days off quite often and soon as I had kids my my primary goal was to be there for them I would still you know do a little bit of stuff but so it became important that I um, maintained my skill sets and training through um, opportunities at work that was something that was a big shift um, that I recall and and then Sometimes it's not as easy to stay later in the day when, you know, you have to get, get home to, you know, take your kid to wherever, um, you know, sometimes you can't help it. It's a rescue. You're gone, you know, and I, there's some, I'm sure I've, my kids will forever remember some incidents where I've been pulled away suddenly, you know, they thought they were going to learn how to ride a bike, but no, I'm going on a rescue instead on Mount Temple and, and um, so, you know, so the day length and your time becomes much more scheduled, I think, and um, outside of work. And then, yeah, my risk tolerance, absolutely. Um, I think our perception of risk is something that's it's an it's an interest. It's probably a podcast on its own. Um, and it's changed over my whole career. 
for a variety of reasons, but I feel my risk tolerance has definitely gone down with kids. So having dependence, knowing that you need to be there for these, these people. And then most recently, or maybe in the last few years, my parents too. I'm the only child. So um, they, my mom right now absolutely depends on me. I run everything for her. So, um, and things that, you know, I had an incident on um, the walk to ice fields with a colleague on a training event where really, really cemented it, brought it to light where I was almost avalanched over a cliff. And fortunately it was moving slow enough and the bench was big enough that I didn't go there. But in my head, I went there and I went, oh my God, I'm leaving my kids without a mother. And sometimes I think we can't really perceive the full extent of risk until we've had some of these wake up moments and you just go, OMG, okay, time to um, really, really be considering what I'm doing, where I'm doing it. And I mean, we always say that, right? But uh, you have an incident like that that just really brings it to light. So I, I think, yeah, I, I look at roots that maybe I would have um, done before and maybe I'm my window of when I would want to maybe entertain that is uh, things have to be a little more definite before I venture onto them. I think it's that sense that you, you have to come home at night. Yeah. You want to come home at night. You know, you, you don't, like to say, you don't, they need you and, and you need them. My, uh, you know, the, my risk tolerance, uh, Dom has also changed, you know, from what, how I speed through my, you know, through my twenties and I look at things now and it's like, you know, and, and part of that is age, you know, lots of male colleagues that are, are similar that, you know, well, your recovery time's a little bit slow, but there is that sense of, um, of having dependence. And then on the, on the topic of risk, my 17 year old is in a, in a first year welding program right now, a youth train and trades the program. And he said, mom, I'm going to make more money than this. If I was a doctor and he's big on like, oh, I'm going to go underwater welding. So you can't do that. That is so <laughs> dangerous. Not a chance. It's like, mom, these are bombs out of helicopters. You can't tell me that what I want to do is dangerous. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I guess, you know, I guess you're right. So it is, it is interesting that, you know, that topic on risk when he was in, I think he was in grade four, he came home one day and he said, and he goes, he was going to a, quite a small elementary, rural elementary school. So mom, I think you're the, I think I'm the only kid with a mom at his school that throws bombs at helicopters. And he was quite, you know, <laughs> definite, like definitive about it, that that was his idea. But it's interesting how our, our risk tolerance and, and the choices that we make, you know, and again, my kids are older, so I'm watching them grow up and, and his acknowledgement of that. It's like, well, what you do is dangerous. How can you tell me what I'm going to do is dangerous? You know, so yeah, so the, that's just an interesting side note on that as well. Absolutely. They're smart. They they do pay attention to what we do and what we say, and they'll hold us account, hold us to account. I'm seeing that already, and mine are only four and six. So that is such an interesting thing. I mean, I think you're probably right, Ren, about uh any parent uh will probably reevaluate their their risk tolerance, you know, upon having kids. But uh, you know, I'm sure we all talk about the that intense biological connection that the mom has with the, with that child, you know, like, I think it takes a little bit of time for a dad to 
I mean, obviously the first time you stare into your kid's eyes, like the minute they're born, it's like a life-changing moment. But then as a dad, we're pretty useless to start. We're like the the parental support worker in a sense, like we're, we're there to support the person that's actually doing the parenting. And then that, that bond grows incrementally. And, um, you know, you're able to do more and more as, as, uh, you know, they become more and more solid as a human being and, you know, are able to hold their head up and you can interact with them and play with them and all that kind of stuff. Whereas for a mom, it's like, man, that starts well before birth. So it's such a, such a fascinating thing to, to consider and probably a podcast in its own right. Um, you know, we've had an amazing discussion so far for, for a solid hour. And I'm so, so stoked that you three would take the time to talk to me. Um, just to sort of start working our way towards some some conclusion here, um, you know, I just wanted to like acknowledge a few things. One that all the three of you would be hundred percent worthy of a, a episode in your own right. You have such a depth of experience. Like, I want to hear more about Camano. I want to hear more about size five avalanches hitting the highway with ice in Bear Pass. I want to hear more about heli slinging in Banff Park. But I really thank you for taking the time to join me and talk specifically about um, motherhood in the avalanche industry. Um, another thing I'd like to say is that you know we're sharing three stories out of, you know, probably a few hundred women in our industry. So um, we had talked before this about maybe doing a little shout out to some of the other women that we know in the industry that uh, have, as Lisa said, totally unique situations. You know, they're quite everybody's situation and the the creative solutions that they came up with to, uh, to continue working. It will all be totally different. So um I was wondering if uh, if you guys wanted to share some of the some of the different stories that you've heard. Um, like Bree, you mentioned that you had talked to uh, a particular woman who had a, an interesting story there. Yeah, a friend of mine, Lisa Larson. I used to pro patrol with her back in our castle days, and she was patrolling through through pregnancies and raising her kids young on a tiny pro patrol wage and I had no appreciation for what she juggled at the time and and then suddenly she switched paths and uh, took on the you know lead forecaster for Tech Coal became an avalanche educator and works for Avalanche Canada and did all these things and <laughs> just an amazing person in general but uh, talking to her today she gave a suggestion for you Perhaps you could do a podcast one day on perimenopause, puberty, and persistent weak layers. The three P's of mamahood, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good one. The three P's of avalanche mamahood. That's amazing. Yeah. Right on. And Lisa, you had referred to uh, quite a common thread um, that's maybe the contrary story to what your experience was with a stay-at-home dad. Um, you, I don't know if you want to elaborate on that, but uh, talking about how it's quite common for, for women to take the hit career-wise and stay home. Yeah, I just, the ladies I've been thinking of were maybe a, had their children in, in the early 90s and or mid 90s. And, and they were in a position where, um, yeah, they, they were after I guess they talk about it with their partner were the ones that stayed home and took the hit to their career and then reemerge later trying to pick up the pieces and try and figure out how they can fit back into the workplace, which is I'm watching my husband do now. Um, so it's I feel like my experience is, um, is a bit flipped from what I've heard from other other women but I don't think that has to be the case these days I, I mean we've just heard you know three three stories and I and I work 
many of my colleagues have parents or parents than their male. And there's a balance, there's a bit of a, an exchange. Their wives are professionals. And so we know that, um, you know, so-and-so on Thursdays, his wife's working. So we got to, you know, it's, um, I think these days it's, uh, people are ready to make the bends. And I think COVID has really helped us to try on some different work arrangements and, Oh, you could actually do that from your house. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That is awesome. You know, I think that my main kind of intention behind wanting to talk to you three is just to show that there's not one particular path for people to follow and that having a career in the avalanche industry as weird as it is with hours and the the work demands and whatnot, it's not um, completely at odds with having kids. So it's amazing stories that you've shared. I'd just love to give a shout out to my friend Mia. Uh, this is Ren's good friend as well, Mia Fujibayashi. She's the lodge general manager at Baldface Lodge now down near Nelson, but she has a neat story. She actually became a cat skiing guide after her kids grew up and moved out of the house. Um, and I think that that's really cool. Like a few things stood out from talking to her. Um, you know, she, she was actually working as a cook at Powder Creek ski touring lodge. Uh, she did about nine seasons there while her kids were in elementary school. Um, and she had a similar situation to you, Lisa, where her husband was really, um, able to take the the lead on the kids at that time. She was doing a week on a week off. Her husband was a roofer. So he was flat out busy in the summer, um, and able to take the, the lead with the kids in the winter. Um, and it was super supportive of that. Um, you know, she decided she wanted to get into new terrain, have new experiences, want to work, uh, actually in the snow, um, and get professional development that way, as she put it, justify being away from the family by actually working in the snow. So she started working um, at Whitewater. I remember the good old days with Ren running the show and working with Mia. Um, And then she started guiding at Baldface. And she said, sitting in the guide's room, you know, surrounded by men uh, as a new guide in her early 40s, like the only women in the room and also being one of the older people in the room as a brand new guide, feeling a bit out of her element and then giving herself that pep talk of like, no, this is my element. I love this. this is my passion. I've been working in the industry in one form or another for a while now. Um, so yes, this is my element and I should be, I should be here. And she said the person that actually really pushed her over the edge to do it was her older daughter, uh, who incidentally it'll be her birthday, the day that this uh, episode gets released. So happy birthday to her. Um, but it was her older daughter that says, well, if you really want to do it, then just go do it, mom. And, uh, sometimes it takes the, you know, the, the obvious needs to be stated by a kid for it to kind of all make sense sometimes. So I think as parents, we can all kind of relate to that a little bit. So thanks Mia for, for sharing that, that story with us. Cause I thought that was, that was pretty neat. You know, that it's not like if you have your kids then, uh, and you haven't started guiding at 20 or something, it's not game over. There's, there's a lot of different ways to, uh, to tackle the same, same challenge. And as Lisa put it so well, like you really just have to be creative. Well, one thing too, is I've talked to so many of the dads now that wish they've taken their time. And if that's something that could be more of a cultural shift is, you know, parental leaves offered and, and for guys to take that little time away from your career to spend the time you'll never get back with your kids and they're tiny, totally encourage you to do it. It's going to keep snowing for a while. (laughs) You know, a season off is only going to probably increase your drive to get back out there and do your job. But, uh, Pretty special time to have with your kids and the young. That is a really good point. Absolutely. That is a really good point. And it's much easier to share that parental leave now than it was even in a few years ago when I had my kids. So that's really, that's a yeah. well, well put for sure. 
Well, I I just love to keep chatting all evening, to be honest with you. But uh, we we should wrap it up there. And I just want to thank you so much for uh, joining me. Is there anything anybody wants to add before we uh, call it a night? No, I well, I think I'm pretty good there. I quote my doctor: "You can do both." Awesome, <laughs> that is so yeah. true. Right on. Definitely. Well, thank you for sharing your time. Thinking you can do it. <laughs> If you think it, you can do it. Absolutely. Well, yeah, thank you so much for sharing your time and uh, your expertise. It was a real pleasure to have a conversation with you. Um, thanks again. Thanks, Tom. Thank thanks, ladies. Thanks. <laughs> nice to talk to you guys. Yeah, yeah. great to see you on. Thanks. Well, that was a great conversation with the Avalanche Mamas, Ren McElroy, Bree Stephenson, and Lisa Paulson. Thank you, ladies, for joining me. And thank you for listening. I think the take home for me from this episode is that it's possible to have a family and a career in the snow and avalanche arena. It can be a tricky juggle due to the peculiar schedule of many of our jobs, but it's not impossible. If you've got that dream, make it a goal. Take some courses, seek mentorship, and start logging those miles. It doesn't happen overnight, but nothing worthwhile ever does. In the words of Warren Miller, if you don't do it this year, you'll be one year older when you do. If you've been enjoying the podcast, tell a friend and please rate, review and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get Caleb some five-star reviews. He's been on season six here. He's been putting out a great podcast for years and those five-star reviews really help out. You can find the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at the Avalanche Hour Podcast. Our artwork was created by Mike T. Thanks, Mike. Head over to MikeT.com and check out some of Mike's work. Music for this episode was I Do Love You by Age Diamante and used with permission from the artist. This episode was produced by Wes Gregg. Thanks, Wes. Until next time, stay tuned, stay safe, keep having fun out there.